0: Uh, First of all, thank you so much for taking time out of your what I'm sure is a crazy busy schedule uh, to chat with me today. Uh, Before we talk about the exciting new project that you have available for all sorts of D&D players out there, I just wanted to check in to see how you personally and your Critical Role team are doing as we all are kind of currently weathering this pandemic and (laughs) figuring out what life looks like. Uh, in this current state. So how are you guys doing?
1: We're hanging in. We're hanging in. Uh, this, you know, grew very quickly as it did for everybody. And right now we're primarily focused on making sure that us and our, you know, fellow company folk are taken care of. We're doing all the work from home and keeping on top of things and just making sure everyone's you know, taken care of. So it's been a lot of just reshuffling you know, the, the the workload hasn't changed it's just the location the means of accomplishing it has drastically become its own whirlwind of chaos so uh so hanging in hanging in i
0: definitely hear that uh has has the quarantine really affected how you and the team produce your shows at all it's kind of an interesting uh, thing because a lot of it is streamed but you also are normally together for at least a portion of it so ha- have there been any big changes
1: uh, yeah, we're, we're not producing any stream content. Yeah. <laughs> we went dark. Um, partially because, uh, it, in the moment, the, the required shift in infrastructure and technology required to stream it, uh, um, amongst all of us, uh, by the time it would have taken us to figure that out, uh, all the updates from the governor and everything in LA basically shutting down most non, like, very specific media-based and news-based outlets came through and, it just became too much of a dangerous liability with the number of crew that we required to get it in there. The, the, the whole thing would have been a mess. So, for the, for the purposes of just keeping everyone safe, everyone cool, and kind of writing this out, we're we've gone dark as far as most new content, and we're currently in the process of figuring out what to do in the interim, while the length of this remains indeterminate. So, uh, so we're. We're developing as we speak what the next stage is.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, on the bright side of this, people, you know, a lot of people are staying home. There's uh, people have a lot of free time on their hands and they're actually looking for new content, stuff they maybe didn't get to check out before. They didn't have the time for it. And now they do. So for folks out there who may not be familiar with Critical Role or the D&D campaigns that you and your cast put together, how would you explain that to maybe a newcomer who's seeing it for the first time?
1: Well, first of all, it's a great time to, to, to start because you're not falling behind. Um, so it's me and a, and a bunch of my friends. We're all professional voice actors and cartoons, video games, and, and other such media. And we started playing B&D about seven years ago. Um, and about five years ago, we began streaming it online. And it became a bigger thing than we ever expected. And so it's just every week we play live on Twitch. Uh you know, barring the uh, the, <laughs> the current darkness from the uh, the COVID scenario, but um, uh, we, it's just us playing Minutes and Dragons, and it's it's improvised storytelling, it's actors diving into the narrative deeply, it's me fleshing out the world and providing challenges and interesting scenarios, and uh, it's, it's storytelling improvised at the table with the dice sometimes telling how things are going to go, and it's kind of that wonderful risk of not really knowing what's going to happen moment to moment, and that's... That's what we do. Epic fantasy stories with friends at the table.
0: And it's fantastic for folks out there who maybe are listening because they know you from your hundreds of anime titles or video games or, you know, just kind of pop culture, Zeke Geist in general. You know, I highly recommend uh, checking it out, definitely from the beginning. And like you said, you'll have plenty of content to catch up on <laughs> once you guys start going again. But <laughs> this, is say, this brings us to Explorer's Guide to Wildmount. So that is a brand new campaign guide that you created along with the talented folks from both Critical Role and Wizards of the Coast, uh, publishers of, of Dungeons and Dragons. But before we get into the guide itself, uh, I recently watched an interview with D&D Beyond from earlier this year where the reality of the book hadn't, it seemed like it hadn't quite set in for you. So a few months removed, how are you feeling now that the guide is actually available for people to like physically get their hands on?
1: Uh, still think in, really. <laughs> uh, its It's a wild scenario. I'm I think the the change from then to now is I'm excited to see people excited about it. Right. You know, previously people were excited just for the prospect, but now it's actually getting into people's hands and I'm starting to see people who are partially into reading it or finished reading it or are developing campaigns based on it. And, you know, there's always that worry when you're putting so much of yourself into something that it's not going to resonate and people aren't going to, you know, enjoy it as much as you hope they would. And that anxiety definitely has, Has Faded a bit seeing how many people are enjoying it. So still thinking and it's still a wild reality that I don't quite understand how I ended up here with this happening, but uh, I'm right now just Enjoying the fact that so many people are enjoying it, especially in a time as anxious as right now.
0: You know, and speaking of that anxiety not just kind of the the overall anxiety everybody is experiencing in the world right now, but Sort of that professional mm-hmm. or that creator anxiety. It's interesting that you have what, you know, looks like on the outside, a super successful career. Obviously, this side project that turned into something so much more. You know, we can talk about the, the Kickstarter campaign for the animated series that raised, you know, well over $11 million, which is just kind of mind-blowing in and of itself. But yeah. how, I mean, I don't know, I guess this is more of an existential question, but how, how do you stay humble? But then also, how do you stay hungry? To continue creating, to continue to whatever the next level is.
1: That's a good question. Um, from a, from a humility standpoint, uh, I don't know. Self loathing helps a lot. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, uh, it, it, I mean, it's hard to, to, to pinpoint. I don't know. I've, I'm very thankful for the things that I have in my life. You know, I didn't grow up with a whole lot, and um, we get to, the fact that we've been able to turn something into a success kind of based purely out of the people that we love in our chosen family, playing games, having fun together, is surreal. And that's also the core of why I think it has resonated with people. So all of us going into business together and making sure that the main tenet is that we still care about each other and that we're friends before business. And so, you know, to me, a lot of it is just making sure that what we're doing we believe in, that we're doing it right, we're doing right by everyone we work with. Uh, has been a, a big thing. Um, the responsibility that's there as well, you know, for the people that do engage in our content, uh, especially when the world is as chaotic as it is in recent times, um, you know, wanting to make sure that we continue to, to be that light for people out there that need it. Um, and I think from, from, from my personal standpoint, I don't know. I'm just a huge nerd have been my whole life. I grew up, you know, with with geek culture as my culture and to to be a part of it, I'm just extremely appreciative and also understand that at any given point, it could all just go away. Right. So just appreciating every moment that it's there and try and do the best with whatever platform I have for the time that I have it. That's kind of the, I guess, to answer your humility question, as far as um, keeping hungry on it, I don't know what else to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I wasn't doing this professionally, I'd be doing it as a hobby anyway. You know, I love role-playing games. I love performing arts. I love writing and telling stories and playing games with friends. And now it's just, you know, become a means of sharing that joy with so many m- more people across the world. Um, the, re- the, uh, the responsibility of it is definitely greater and the, uh, the stakes are about higher because <laughs> we have employees and healthcare and all the things that kind of rely on those elements of storytelling now. But, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'd be doing it anyway, so I, I, it's not so much that I'm worried about losing the hunger, it's about uh, making sure that I don't overwork myself and to ever take away the joy that I inherently get out of it anyway.
0: That's a great answer. And then kind of circling back around, not only to the campaign uh, guide that you've created, but sort of being able to put this out into the world so that that creative circle kind of feeds back into it. You know, you guys have put these campaigns together, but they were also based on existing D&D lore to begin with and rules for the campaigns and rules for the games that have been around for decades now. But now you get to create this uh, this home that people all around the world can check out and they can now create their own versions of this world, too. So it's kind of this really interesting creative cycle that kind of feeds back in on it. But to talk about the book for a little bit what's kind of the high level view of this book, especially for maybe someone who's maybe they've never played a D&D campaign, or they haven't seen an episode of Critical Role? Is it, is it still accessible for them?
1: Uh, if, if you've never played D&D, it is still accessible. If you're a fan of the show, and want to learn about the lore and the history of the world and details of the locations and various factions and societies that exist there. And even if you have no idea what D&D is, and you just want to kind of look at a a fantasy world structure from a societal and geographic standpoint and kind of get immersed in a place that you're unfamiliar with that is a little more fantastical and different from what you're used to um, then it definitely serves that purpose as well i've i've been very careful to present it not as like an instructional you know uh college study book by any means more of a uh, informational but still with a narrative flair and written to to tell its own story within the information that it gets across. If you are a fan of Critical Role, but not necessarily a D&D player, this is a great place for you to get immersed in all of that detailed lore and find out more information about the world that you've already kind of followed along with with our campaign, the characters and the uh, the religions and the pantheon, and the various societies and all the the various secrets and possible uh, hidden locations and places that will never be seen in our campaign because it's far more expansive than just the story that we're playing right now, you have all that at your fingertips, which is really really cool. If you are a D&D player and not a fan of critical role or don't know about it, all of this still exists as an invitation to uh, to take anything from this world you want to and use for your home campaigns to take inspiration from, pull apart and you know, pick your favorite pieces of inspiration from the tome and incorporate it into your own sessions. Uh, not to mention it has a bunch of new character options and a whole new slew of spells with a, uh, a, a, new kind of almost, I want to say, uh, quantum physics or astrophysical affair type design to them. Um, new creatures, new magical items. It's got plenty of things for anyone to pull from whether or not they're familiar with Critical Role. And if you're familiar with Critical Role and, then, I mean, this book was, Definitely
0: made for you. Yeah, and that's that's kind of the lead into my, my next question. At the opposite end of that spectrum, there's got to be a ton of content that's going to be, you know, it's going to delight fans of yours and, and D&D, but also stuff that's going to surprise people too. You mentioned different types of spells and like a whole new uh, sort of wing of magic or a whole new kind of approach to, to magic. You talked about it a little bit in your uh, the interview earlier this year, and you just mentioned sort of gravity effects and time effects. Can you maybe elaborate a little bit on that?
1: Correct, yeah. So I grew up with a, with a fascination with uh quantum and astrophysics. I've just taken a hobbyist reader growing up. So for me that was an aspect of magic that I wanted to kind of explore a little bit more and give it its own unique flavor. And so I developed a uh kind of an umbrella of a source of magic called Duna based on this energy dunamis. Um it is the, the magic of potentiality and actuality. Um, it is the the potential power of things before a choice is made, before an effect. Actually takes the world around it and utilizing that, that potential energy to uh, mess with and tailor the base fundamental elements of the universe. And so a lot of the magic is based in uh, manipulation of gravity and density. A lot of it is based in the manipulation of localized time and its passage. So it deals with probability and adjusting timelines to better suit a vision that you may have for the future as opposed to letting the world's fate take it and you know can pick it into your own hands a little bit. So uh it deals a little more in those esoteric realms. So there are spells that deal with, uh, you know, at the higher levels, like localized black holes, things that can manipulate the battlefield through adjusting the pull of gravity from different directions or crushing them with infinite density or locking an object in place so that it is unaffected by gravity, movement, or density. Um, there are spells that deal with, um, you know, adjusting... A, a creature's place in time and shunting them to another moment within a few seconds, un, unaware of what has happened or transpired in the interim. Uh, there are the ability to grant players the capability of adjusting their fate in a moment of time, whether an individual or many. Uh, so it's 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 a little a little less the classic elemental fireballs and lightning bolts, and a little more a little more uh, strange and spacey, I guess you could say.
0: To get super nerdy on that point, then, if you'll indulge me, uh, and and I'm sure indulge yourself a little bit, but uh, manipulating time and spatial reality and gravitational pull and density, that seems kind of OP. So how did you go about balancing these powers? I I feel like that's got to be a a facet of all sort of D&D campaigns or any RPGs you play in a video game is power balance and evolution of, of those abilities from a lower level character up to like, you know, high elite level. So how did you go about that? Uh,
1: it was both just kind of learning through years of of trying out homebrew character capabilities and spell design and using comparisons to existing spell levels and making sure that nothing overshadows equal spell level capabilities. Um So for instance, like the Graviturgist, which is the, one of the wizard subclasses that focuses on gravity, they're not summoning black holes at the top of the character progression. They're Low-level abilities include adjusting localized gravity, where all of a sudden a group of enemies in a 10-foot radius might have, uh, gravity might double for a short time so their movement is slowed and they take a little bit of crushing damage from just the intense heavy weight of that moment. They have abilities where they can adjust the density of a target, whether it be a creature or an object, to be half its weight or twice its weight. So if something's too heavy to grab, now it's twice as easy to lift. Or if an, one of your friends needs to get somewhere quickly, you could lower their density by half and they actually can get somewhere quicker because they weigh less. So it's kind of like utility, small-scale stuff, but as they get more powerful down the road, they can eventually, like if they see a friend attacking an enemy, they can increase the gravitational pull of that weapon towards the enemy, thus doing additional damage because it hits them with spike force. Or if an enemy falls, they can cause them to fall for more damage as you pull them even harder towards the ground they slam into. Eventually being able to become uh, uh, their own kind of event horizon where a radius around the wizard becomes crushing gravitational energy. Um, so like the, the abilities do scale uh, from a low level, small manipulation of elements of the world around them to even greater. And like time magic is always a bit, you know, pardon the reference, wibbly wobbly yeah. um, and, and dangerous if it's not well tended to. so The idea here isn't being able to jump back in time. That's, that's always where things get messy. But the time, time manipulation is not so much about being able to go back in time more than it's adjusting the flow of it, adjusting a person's place in it. Um, so for instance, like the Chronergist wizard has abilities where like they can put an enemy into temporal stasis. You can lock them in a moment of time for a round where they are unaware of any passage of time, they don't do anything, their turn is lost, and if you, if nobody damages or touches them, for them, it's like nothing had passed. All of you have been able to continue on for a short period of time. Um, abilities where they can cast a spell and at the moment the spell be released, they can lock that spell into a small moat of energy and then hand it to somebody else so at some point later can activate it to release the spell from the moment it was cast at a much later point in time. Then eventually, they do have the ability to very, very briefly in very localized period of time kind of rewind a moment in fate to give it a possible better outcome, where they can kind of choose one of multiple timelines and then take the one that seems best to their uh, to their benefit, and then choose that one to be the timeline that continues. So, once again, it scales up as it progresses, and the effect on time and time manipulation is localized enough and controlled enough to the point where it doesn't become so powerful that it completely derails or, you know, messes up a campaign like, it's very possible if you're not careful.
0: Yeah, I was going to say it sounds completely insane, but in the best possible ways. So, how how much of that you mentioned? You know, it kind of came from the the uh, critical role story that you kind of progressed uh, over over the years. But also through kind of your own homebrew attempts too. So, how much of this was was playtesting when you were actually putting the guide together? Physically all together in one place for people to be able to access it at home. Because it's one thing to put it on with your friends or your your comrades or whatever. It's another thing to be able to put a guide in somebody's hand and then you know hope that they can make sense out of it. So, how much of that did you Indeed. kind of tweak from uh, from play testing?
1: Uh, a, a little bit of tweaking, not not too terribly much. Um, thankfully, a lot of that is on the shoulders of the publishing partner, which is the code. Right. They have a much larger pool of testers and processes in place for this which i do not have access to so a lot of this would be me fleshing out a design then collaborating with the designers at wizards to kind of fine tune or tweak anything where it seems like this is a pretty solid version of this now let's go ahead and release it into the very controlled wild that is their play test, you know uh group all under non-disclosure agreements and then they take it for a month or two and heavily rigorously put it through its paces give all of their notes and feedback on it and then from there we make adjustments accordingly and uh, from there balance it with like jeremy crawford and Van dylan and people there that are the kind of the masters of the game mechanics and they all work together with me to get it to, as tight as possible to exist with all pre-existing rules and you know fit within the world without breaking it And, uh, that was, that was pretty much the process in a nutshell right there.
0: (laughs) That's so crazy, but it sounds like such like a dream come true to, to, you know, for years to kind of just like read those, uh, guides and then put your own campaigns together, but to now actually be creating one and kind of be the, the demigod of your own, (laughs) your own kind of like world and land that, that just, I don't know, it just blows my mind from this side of the conversation. I can't really imagine. Yeah, exactly.
1: Uh, Continuously. I mean, the moment they sent me the physical book in the mail about a month ago, and I got to look at it in my hands, it was deeply emotional and very surreal. Like I was kind of having a a brief out-of-body experience at that moment, kind of flashing back to my, you know, 15-year-old self, where this tabletop ride really began. And uh, it's. like I said earlier, still processing. It's going to be a while.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's going to be, you're going to be on, they're going to be on like seventh edition uh, D&D by the time it kind of like sinks in. Like, yeah, this was my thing.
1: Yeah, seriously, you're not wrong.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Now, speaking of some of the nuts and bolts of, of this guide too, this thing comes in at over 300 pages. You've got, I believe, four starting adventures for people out there. You've got three new subclasses you've introduced, New style of magic that you talked about, 20 some new creatures, and then you've also got a big breakdown of all the kind of history and lore of the world. So it sounds like you pretty much went all in. Like, is everything that you had, did everything go into this project, or are you maybe holding something back for the future?
1: Uh, everything went in for, for this particular setting. Um, Wild Mount is but one of multiple continents in Alexandria, right. and I definitely have, you know, other places in mind for other campaigns down the road as to whether or not you know, the ever become book. I don't know. But um for this, I don't feel like I I expelled everything in the tank. Um definitely definitely went all in on this and what I'm happy about is the structure that we kinda of developed with the process of creating this book. Definitely, if anything, left me more inspired to develop aspects and details but uh and it's left me inspired for future campaign development for, you know, games and stuff like that of the kind of elements and details that I now that's kind of a process for writing that previously was just kind of madman scrawlings and right. scattered word documents on my computer lost in the ether. It's the
0: difference between kind of like a professional and somebody who's under investigation for <laughs> who knows what, with all the like crazy whiteboard scrawlings. Right. So I'm like, what is going on here? <laughs> One of these days, I'm going to confuse a detective really heavily. Exactly. Just like, no, no, I'm, I'm, it's, it's D&D. I swear, it's fine. Have you seen Stranger Things? Yep. <laughs> Perfect. So, so talking about that and kind of the way that these worlds evolve and the way that uh, stories kind of change and take shape, have there been discussions about maybe future expansions to this particular guide, or you mentioned, you know, uh, story campaigns set in other areas of Exandria, other areas of the of the continent in the world? Anything like that that you can talk about?
1: I don't know yet. Uh, this this is just a big endeavor to get it out of the out of the door. Sure. And on top of the book, working on the animated series pre production on yeah. the. Um, all the other things that we're doing is critical as the company it's it's very much having to make sure that I relegate my attention to just the right amount of things that I don't go crazy um, so that i I don't know what's in the future in regards to that, but I think we'll see the numbers come through and if free time is emerged in the future, and if you know Wizards is interested in doing another book when I'm at a a time and place in my life that i uh, and, and raring to go on another tome, then, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll happily jump at that. It was a great experience, but uh, nothing nothing confirmed at the moment.
0: Gotcha. Well, in case people are wondering how they could actually get into this and not sure if they want to check out the full guide yet, I believe there is one free adventure that's available, both from Critical Role, from the virtual tabletop platform Roll 20, and also Dungeons and & Dragons and, and Wizards. So what can you tell us maybe about that sort of mini campaign that is uh, kind of an entry point for people who want to check this out?
1: Right. So for uh, the World 20 campaign, so the m- most I can tell you without any spoilers sure. is each adventure you? that we have of the four is designated to one of the major regions in the continent. So you have a variety of starting places, and uh, each adventure is designed to take a group between levels one all the way up to three. So it's like a, a, a early beginning your campaign type of uh, uh, adventure to kick off a campaign is the idea. Right. So for the frozen sick venture that takes place in what's called the biting north. It's the far kind of icy north of Wildmounts and it begins north of the dwarf and elven, uh, diarchy you know, Uthodern, in our Uthodern, and a small village called Pellbank, which is a northern like ice fishing village, uh, far outside of main society and the, the front lines of the main conflict between nations that a lot of the book is based around. So it's a lot of a little more isolation based, a little more in the wilds away from society and I would just say that this, discovering, discovering a strange mystery regarding a disease that seems to be spreading weirdly timely. Didn't expect that to, <laughs> yeah, to <sure>. uh, <laughs> coincide. <laughs> Who does? Uh, but a, a magical disease that seems to have taken hold and the mysteries about what its source is, how, if it can be handled and the kind of mysterious individuals and narrative nature surrounding how to deal with this and the people involved. So it's, it's very much a little more, it's your classic swashbuckling high fantasy. This adventure is much more about the the darker mystery, being away from the prying eyes of the law and what that means, good and bad. Um, and the, the, the mysterious unknown of a place that is, uh, vastly uncharted and still being discovered by the main societies of Wildman.
0: As much as that description makes me want to just immediately just jump into that with my friends, uh, like probably online streaming since we can't all get together now. Uh, I'm curious because we've only really got to see you as dungeon master. What sort of characters do you tend to gravitate towards when you're actually playing a campaign and not leading one?
1: Oh, good question. Um, I, I always tend to be the player that makes my character last because i like to fill whatever role the party doesn't have. Right. You know, I, I I, I don't tend to be the person who's like I've always wanted to play this character and I play this character. <laughs> you just have to deal with it, um, which is fine too. But but for me, I I like playing the support. I like being whatever whatever fits best in the group based on whatever else chooses. If if that's not a scenario and I can just pick, I tend to lean towards things with some element of spellcasting. I like the utility of having spells at my disposal. Um, and if I'm going to pick the, uh fifth edition class rules, I think my favorite class is the bard. I love the idea of having access to a fair amount of really interesting and fun utility spells and capabilities to inspire and help your teammates, uh, and just generally being a you know a charismatic ba- charismatic bastard who can waltz into social situations and for better or for worse make them dynamic. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that sounds spot on. Um, since you, you mentioned earlier uh, before I run out of time with you today, I definitely want to talk a little bit about the uh, Critical Role animated series, A Legend of Vox Machina. So you've not only been able to bring all your adventures to life through streaming on Twitch with your friends, you've now been able to put those those rules and tools in people's hands with Explorer's Guide to Wildmount. Now we're also going to see the first kind of campaign that you guys put together in an animated form. And I know as a, as a long time viewer of the series, people have been waiting for an animated version for a very long time. So What can you tease about this? I mean, the last we heard, very successful Kickstarter campaign. Titmouse is on board as the animation studio. Amazon Prime has, I believe, an order of 24 episodes. And you guys have a fantastic writer's room assembled. The last I think we heard was maybe in February. So anything new that's kind of happened since then? Or are you kind of stuck in a pause like all other productions right now?
1: Well, production is still going. The good thing about animation is a lot of people can still work from home. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So we're we're doing a lot of video meetings between everyone. This will be like approvals and design approvals and stuff. So it's uh you know, the show the show goes on as far as that's concerned. Um but right now, I mean, it's it's going great. It's it's still a weird thing. As a person that grew up loving cartoons and initially was wanting to go into animation as an artist and I was much younger to now be involved in animation from a different side is is wholly crazy. Um but the entire team is so talented, everyone we have involved is so good and I think my favorite thing is it's a perpetual Christmas when we do approval meetings. I so get to see all these incredible artists designing and creatively coming up with visuals for places that I made up and have them take them and bring them to life in ways that are so much more grand and beautiful and, and interesting than even I could have possibly done is, is an incredible part of the collaboration. Um, but we're, we're going ahead. We're, we're cruising through on season one, which follows the, uh, has two episodes at the beginning that are a whole new story kind of a, a unique tale that nobody's seen um, on our stream, at least. And then we have the Briarwood arc that progresses for the rest of season one, which was kind of the first major, uh, like, narrative arc that kicked in when we started streaming way back in 2015. Uh, but it's it's going great. We're, we're, we're finally like, we're getting casting tuned up. We're getting production, you know, uh, animatics back, and it's just, it's
0: awesome. <laughs> what is the kind of what's the kind of behind the scenes with that? Because you're, you know, you're you're the DM for the show, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're like a show runner. So, what is the kind of maybe creative process behind the scenes of uh, how did you decide uh, which stories to tackle and who gets to write up new ones? And what's kind of the breakdown of that behind the scenes, if you can get into it?
1: I'll get you a little bit. Um, I mean, creatively, a lot of that is our choice. I mean, the eight of us, me and my players, we're all the creative partners in this company. So we get together and we work with uh, Brandon, who's our showrunner, to figure out what's the best way to tell these stories. And then we uh, work with the writer's room to then beat out the season episode by episode and character arc by character arc and the, the classic animation writer's room sense. But all of us are present to, one, guide the story, to make sure that, beats that are important to each of us as players and as creators are within there and to help the adaptation process. And it is an adaptation process because we have hundreds of hours of gameplay that we have to condense into, you know, for the season one, at least 12 episodes between 22 and 25 minutes. That's, you know, <laughs> that's, a, that's a lot of condensing you have to do. Yeah. Uh, so part of the adaptation process is working with these writers and part of what a lot, of, large part of what I do. And at that part of it is, being present to help guide the story, being present to answer questions about world war, uh and being present to push for and help uh define what parts of the story are the most important in the core and the heart of the things we have to convey, what things can be changed without really, you know, uh undercutting or diluting the narrative and the core of the story, what things absolutely cannot be changed and working with everybody to get it to a place where it's something that still is very much the tale of Ox mocking that everyone who watched along knows, but also is unique in its own right, has a couple of surprises. And any changes that we made are only changes that make the story better for this medium. So that's been a large part of what I've done, as far as like the writers' room is concerned in crafting the story. And then from there, it's being present for all uh, design approvals, whether it be like character designs, location and background designs. Anything that's, uh, you know, cultural in the world. Uh, it's been kind of like being the lore master and the world, you know, expert on it, which I guess I am because I made it up. <laughs> it's weird. Uh, <laughs> and then also script approvals. All of us, the entire cast go through with every single script as they come in and give notes on dialogue to ensure that it's as, you know, natural and as, as keyed into that character's personality as possible. Uh, It's a very, very collaborative process, and it's kind of cool that all of us get to be as involved in every step of this to ensure that it's something that we all are confident about and really excited about, and it's been that way every step.
0: That's a great breakdown and a great tease, and I'm sure fans, myself included, are looking forward to seeing anything and everything we can get uh, as we get closer to the release date. But back to the guide for a second. Can't wait to show you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and you are more than welcome back on the show uh, if and when we <laughs> we get to see some more. Uh, but I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about or give you a chance to talk about the massive community uh, and fans of Critical Role who actually had a chance to submit some of their own artwork to this guide. I think you said something about maybe half of the artwork is actually from the fan community. Can you talk about that a little bit?
1: Correct. Yeah. I mean, the main thing about Critical Role is it's fun. It's great. It, it, I'm, I'm really proud of everything we've done. we it wouldn't be what it is today if it wasn't for the incredible community that's come around it and supported us and supported each other. Um, if, I, if I'm proud of anything the Critical Role has done, uh, I'm proud of the community that we've created and the people that have become a part of that. So um, any opportunity we have to to lift others up, to work with members of the community, to try and, you know, kind of share in that opportunity with people who've been there with us, we're going to, our best to do so and as part of that as soon as we had this conversation with Wizards about the book that was a big important part to me was we had so many of these really talented artists out there that we've seen in the community can we please involve them in the book yeah. and so Wizards, Wizards said alright give me give me a list of examples and links and so I made an, an extensive list of community artists that have submitted to our galleries that we've just seen their work online that we may have worked with for their art books and other things and sent them off to Wizards and they picked from that list. And we managed to, at the end of the day, have, you know, close to, if not more than half of the artists in this book are directly from our community. And a lot of them have continued to work with Wizards and other books thereafter. So I'm extremely happy that we were able to, to bring people the opportunity to work directly with Wizards and looks like carve out another aspect of their career and continuing to work with them.
0: That is so cool. I love seeing things like that where fan fiction, fan art is rewarded. You know, the hard work and the talented people out there who get invested and involved in a project, whatever it might be, and they put that work out into the world. I love seeing it get uh, rewarded and legitimized, which I think is a big thing, especially with with fanfic that some people still kind of like look down on it or fan art similarly. So I love that it's kind of legitimized and then, uh, you know, brought into like a professional uh, sort of sense. And you're getting to give back uh, to those fans who gave so much to you guys as well. So that's that's just a great story. I just wanted to make sure to highlight
1: that. Yeah, no worries. It's something I'm really proud of, and something we're going to continue to try and do every chance we have. We're, you know, we're thankful that we have the opportunities to possibly lift others up. And you know, I I'm a fan of all this stuff as much as any of they are. You know, I grew up to conventions and waiting in line to meet voice actors and people that I admired. I grew up doing my own fan art of things that I was, you know, inspired by. And so if anything, it's just a cycle coming back to be on the other side of it now and have that chance. Hell yeah, I'm going to take it. Definitely.
0: Uh, as we start to wrap up the conversation today, I want to just get another high level kind of comment from you about what you're hoping that both new and longtime fans of, of yours professionally and Critical Role, what do you want them to get out of this new guide, the Explorer's Guide to Wildmount?
1: Uh, I think primarily I want to... Well, in this very moment, I want it to be a source of escapism mm-hmm. and a place where you can immerse yourself and lose yourself in a world of, of unique and different and, and varied and beautiful people and challenges and mystery and magic and just be a place of, of solace and inspiration that might, you know, inspire you if you're an artist to create Something driven by that world, or if you're a writer, take something from there and run with it. Or if you're uh, even just a general consumer to to take some inspiration from that and maybe incorporate it a bit into your life. I know I grew up inspired by a lot of the books and fiction that I read and you know, I mean for example, Nightcrawler from the X Men, a lot of who I am today I owe because of the example of being just a good person in the face of adversity that he was. Hmm. And so in a in the same way, if if anything that I've written can you know, any of these characters, any of these stories can inspire folk to, uh, to be a, to, to strive to be a better person in a world where that can be challenging. And that's the, that, that's the most I could hope for. Uh, though it's a bit of a very high-minded answer to your question. Um, on a, a more subtle level, I hope people have the opportunity to, to grab this book, enjoy it, and if they haven't gotten up the, the courage to run again at D&D before, if they're a fan of the show and they can see familiar spaces in the world they've already spent a lot of time with, this would be the book to get you started to run a game for your friend.
0: Absolutely, I know as somebody who didn't play a lot of D and D growing up, but I was in a home-brewed Gundam RPG with friends of mine that I still kind of oh, like yeah. have super fond memories of. Have you ever have have you ever dabbled in other genres for RPGs? Maybe like a horror tinged one-off or or sci-fi focused ones, or do you stick with fantasy?
1: Uh, Well, my main critical campaign is fantasy. That's where it started. I've been playing RPGs for well over twenty-five years now, and uh, I've I've played many genres. I've played uh, hard sci-fi games before, and like Diaspora was one of them. I think there's stars out numbers. Um, I've played the Traveler, which is kind of a little more sci-fi but looser, more fantasy sci-fi yep. i've played uh rifts campaigns in the past okay. which are their own cluster cluster muck of everything <laughs> <laughs> like let's just jam every genre in there and see what happens just kitchen sink the uh the kitchen sink oh. of RPGs Yes. Yeah? um so yeah I've, I've played many genres and i i enjoy all of them for their own reason fantasy is just kind of where my heart lies as a, a lord of the rings kid growing up um that was the one that really kind of drew me in. But, uh, but I thoroughly enjoy sci-fi. I just ran a one shot, uh, in association with Bethesda and id software for the doom eternal release, where I got to run a, a you know, demonic sci-fi one shot where My players got to be demons attacking a, a futuristic military base. And, you know, any, any, any chance we have to mix and mess with other genres. is always a, a nice little breath of fresh, fresh air and, a. uh, a difference to the usual swords and sorcery that we enjoy so much.
0: Absolutely. And that leads into, unfortunately, my last question for you today. Are there any other projects on the horizon that you're currently working on that you would like to or are able to give a signal boost to?
1: Oh, man. Uh, (laughs) Everything i got on my plate right now is pretty much consuming all my time. Um, I mean, it's it's a signal boost, honestly. I would say uh, because a lot of conventions and a lot of events are being canceled throughout the year, uh, a lot of companies and a lot of creators that rely on conventions and, and dealers' hall setups to make their money are really hardly hit by the COVID uh, scenario. So, if you have the opportunity, there's a lot of people online. I've been boosting on my Twitter as well. Uh, a lot of these creators are putting up streams to show off their, uh, their, what they create, their products. And if you have the opportunity and you're interested at all, I would recommend checking them out and supporting those. You can and this Tenuous time.
0: I love it. That's a perfect response. Thank you so much for all of your time today. I want to wish you best of luck with uh, continued success for Critical Role, for the animated series that's coming out, and for the Explorer's Guide to Wildmount that is now available for fans out there to pick up and get started on your campaign. So, sir, thank you once again.
1: Well, I appreciate it so much. It was great talking with you, man.